podcast in the world. From WWE to DNA Impact. By way of the NWA. It's time for Reffin' It Up. With legendary referee Brian Hepner And guest host, Mr. Reffin' Rant himself, Jimmy Corderas. An all new episode starts in... This, this is Reffin' It Up. RJ. This week we have a Refn Rewind on Al Snow. So if you missed it the first time, you will hear it right here and now. Head over to all your social medias and follow us at Refn It Up, and we'll see you here next week. It's summer. You know what that means. It's bonfire season. And thanks for our great sponsors today, City Bonfires. They're making your job a heck of a lot easier and everybody around you very very happy head over to citybonfires.com right now and they use the promo code ruffin to get 15 percent off your entire order these bonfires can be used on camping trips whether you're in an apartment whether you're in the country and you just want to have some peacefulness city bonfires helps you out their burn time lasts between three to five hours it's light reusable and easy to extinguish there's no mess, no flying embers, no ashes to clean up, and there's no smoke. So you're not going to be taking all of that smoke into your home. So head over and check out their great products right now over at citybonfires.com and use the promo code REFIN, that's R-E-F-I-N, to get 15% off your entire order. Thanks to our great friends over at City Bonfires. We have the honor of welcoming in the one, the only, Mr. Al Snow. Al, thanks for being on the show. Uh, thank you guys very much for having me on the show. It's it's awesome, and I'm, you know, real honor and a privilege. I really appreciate the, you guys giving me the time. Well, hello there, Al hello. Snow. Hello there, Brian Hebner. We are making <laughs> the towns, baby. Making <laughs> the towns. And, hey, Al, how are you, buddy? Good, good to see you, Jimmy. Good to see it, you. It, it's great to be seen. Actually, I'm I'm really happy, and and you did have to wear that uh, short sleeve T-shirt and really make me feel even older than I am, right? Okay. Well, I got you know I got to wear the medium whenever I can. So yeah, hey, hey, why not? You know, there's there's uh, who is it? Who is it? Rod Rod Zapata in WWE. He wears the extra medium. You got to You got to sure yeah, I've got clips. I've got clips on the back of mine, so it pulls it in. <laughs> uh, see, 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 old school, man. Old school. That's right. <laughs> if any of you fans, if any of you fans that are wondering what's going on here, basically we look like bobbleheads, and then Al Snow has a whole picture of his body because his big fucking frame will fit the fucking screen. <laughs> yeah. What does everybody well, want? <laughs> what does everybody want? Al's body. Yeah, testosterone replacement therapy. That's what we want. <laughs> well, Craig, I'm like, I just want to look like that. Well, now, Craig, Al, you're almost, uh, man, you're such great shape. How do you stay in shape as well as you have been over the years? Uh, you know, um, I just, I try to, I make it a point to, you know, train every day and, and um, you know, really push myself. And I, uh, for me, the, the training kind of has become like a, uh, 
I don't know, like a stress relief thing. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's a, a time a, that you can kind of get away with from everything and kind of, it, it really helps me mentally and emotionally deal with everything. So, you know, it's really become a, a part of my everyday routine. So mm-hmm. good. I would, I would say it like this too, Al, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but, but I, but I know that, you know, for me, it's, it's almost like it's become part of just my life, like just being yeah. part of life. It's like when you go and brush your teeth in the morning, it's kind of the same thing. You go to the gym. That's just part of the the, the, the the grind. But what sucks for some people, I don't know about you, but you do get those lazy days where you just don't want to brush your teeth. You know what I'm saying? You just kind of just don't feel like it. Sure. Uh, but otherwise, that's the best way to explain it. I know for you, Al, because fit over 50, we are we, we know about all that. And uh, the, 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 what's, oh, I'm forgetting already. What's the one that we always used to go back and forth? The same, me, you, and Dave Hero used to do it. The challenge. Uh, competition continues. Competition continues. There you go. Yeah, because it never ends. It never stops. You know, you just yeah. keep you keep at it. You keep competing with yourself more than you do anybody else. And you know, right. uh, that keeps you motivated and keeps you moving. So there you go. So, you know, the body's not. I I always tell everybody like, the human body is just like a car. You know, cars are built to drive. And when you leave them set, then that's when, you know, the, the rubber and the tires rot, the belts dry out, the hoses get, you know, weak, um, you know, part the gas gets, becomes varnish, the oil gets like gummy. But if you keep the car driving, you keep it moving, you can put miles on it. You got to occasionally place a part or so, you know, right. uh, and yeah. you got to do maintenance. But, uh, you know, if you keep driving that thing, it'll keep running. You know, and uh, the same thing with the human body. The minute you let it sit still, it's going to start rusting, and rust is the enemy of everything. Exactly. What, I, what I've discovered is I, I was never a gym guy. I never a lifting guy, but I, I used to get my workout setting up the ring. Yeah, you know, yeah. On a daily basis. That was my workup, setting it up and, and, and tearing it down, uh, workout. But uh, now that I've been away from it for so long, uh, my wife and I walk a lot. We try to get our yeah. at least 10,000 steps a day in, you know, to get the – at yeah. least get the juice flowing, you know. You got to keep moving. You got to, you know, you keep the flood, blood going. You just, just like an automobile, you just got to keep the fluids going. So, right. You, yeah. You know, I, it, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, it, 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 it's funny. It's like I, I, my, my workout consists of just checking out your and Dave Hero's social media because it's always pictures <laughs> of Jim. Like, I think so, some days I actually think I grow an ab or two. And yeah. then, th- then I look down and then I'm like, Oh no, that's just my breakfast. That's fine. Um, but no, it, it's just, it's just great to see because even, even with Dave hero, it's like just seeing his transformation too, over the last, yeah. you know, number of years too, with the, between the two of you just working out so well. Yeah. I mean, Dave, you know, is pretty inspiring, uh, you know, that he went from the weight that he went from and, and being type two diabetes and, you know, he, he got that under control all through exercise and, you know, that was how the whole, you know, competition continues thing started. I mean, it, it started uh, as a way for us both to kind of jokingly keep each other motivated because, you know, I knew if I didn't go to the gym, he was going to post a picture of him going to the gym and I wasn't <laughs> going to have him out do me. So, you know, <laughs> it, it kept us, you know, going uh, on days that you maybe you didn't necessarily want to go, you know, so yeah. um, it worked out. And, and, and I can't encourage anybody enough, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to lift weights, you know, you can do any, any type of thing that you want to do. You don't have to go to a gym you can, you can work out in your home. I mean, I, Lord knows I just work out in my garage, but, um, you know, you just got to do something, 
you know, and, and do it for yourself. Don't do it for anybody else or for any other reason, but just to do it for yourself, you know, and, and, right. and to keep yourself moving. That's it. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. So Al, what we want to do is we want to start going over a little of your career and just, uh, Sure. Trying to jog jog that memory just a little bit. So <laughs> have a little fun here. RJ, take it away, buddy. So one thing I did notice uh, before you started uh, your training with uh, Jim Lancaster, you had a tryout camp, went to a tryout camp with uh, Gene and Ole Anderson. Um, was that, what did you take away from that experience with the Andersons to fit, to go to um, the gym uh, when you started the actual the training there? Uh, well, I took away that I probably will never, ever ride another Greyhound bus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I took away a broken nose. I uh, took away bite marks all over my back. Um, um, you know, I, I don't know necessarily what I took away from it. It was um, at the time and even still today, I, you know, it was like I did it. Um, it didn't get me where I wanted to go. And so I had to, you know, figure out another way to get there. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, you know, I went back to Jim who basically kind of laughed at me and tried to send me to Al Costello, who was uh, training people in Detroit at the time. And, um, you know, when I came back, I just happened to catch him at the right time in the right place, um, where he was, you know, trying to organize and start running his own, uh, at that time they were called outlaw shows because they were not affiliated with any particular organization, you know, of promoters. And that was why they were called outlaw shows. And, uh, you know, he had had a falling out with uh, Dick Athlis, who was Dick the Bruiser, um, who had promised him Spike Huber, who at that time in the Midwest was probably a really pretty, pretty over baby face. Uh, he was going to use on a show and Dick uh, pulled him at the last second, didn't inform Jim and sent him to St. Louis for Muchnick. And uh, Jim decided right then and there that he was going to uh, train his own crew of guys that he could have under control and, uh, you know, he could utilize and that he, he knew that weren't going to, nobody was going to pull him from him and that he could build his own talent into an attraction. So I, I got lucky that I caught him in the right time in the right place. That's, that, that's incredible. I'm going to backtrack even a little bit more than that to before you went to this Ole and Gene tryout camp, what was it that made you want to become a professional wrestler? What, who, what, was it anybody you saw that inspired you? Was it just that, you know, what, what, what drew you in? Well, I don't know, Jimmy, even after 40 <laughs> years, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, and I, I tell people, I, and I tell, I tell people all the time, you know, when, when we would do tough enough and, you know, we'd ask that question and if they'd give you some kind of answer, it's like, well, you know what? I don't think this is for you. You know, if you can, if you can answer, if you can know what it is, I mean, I'm sure if I ask you guys, I mean, you're not going to be able to pinpoint one specific thing that you just go, you know what? That was the reason I did it. You know uh, you just, felt compelled you felt like you wanted to do it that you had to do it and you know um and then you get driven to do it and then it gets you get addicted to it um, you know and it gets in your blood and then you just can't stop you know i've always joked that you know the place that where i was going to make the most money 
was not, you know, training people to uh, be professional wrestlers, but training them not to be. To literally <laughs> on the backside, teach all the boys how to get out of the business and stop being a professional wrestler. That's uh, that's probably a lot harder than ever getting into it. Jeez. So. I remember too, Al, uh, lots of lots of funny stories about you, obviously, but I remember this one in particular. And it was a real one, though, that this was this was something real, but we turned it into a joke. But there would be something that would happen, per se. All right. So let's just say there was a spot that was done and me and you both were sitting there watching. And I was like, why would they do that spot? And you would say, give me your hand. Give me your hand right now. And I would give you my hand and you would smack it. And I would say, why are you smacking my, my hand? And you go. Stop thinking about good ideas. That's just stupid to do. <laughs> yeah. So explain yeah. explain that to me. I, I don't need it explained. I want you to explain it to others. What do you mean by that? Because it, it became it became such a funny thing that I would come up with an idea and I would just go, oh shit, and just put my hand out. You wouldn't even ask. Stop. Yeah. Because in my opinion, uh um we've gotten so far away. Uh, and we all, everyone tries to justify and to explain and to uh, excuse the fact that, the, that a lot of people really don't understand what it is that we do anymore. Um, so like you would come up with an idea that would be based on what it is that we're really selling. And then I would smack your hand because it's like, uh, just stop that because these people aren't thinking that way, you know, um, and you know, uh, we've become so detached uh, from from what we're really selling to an audience and what an audience is really paying to see that we have gotten to a point where, you know, we we uh, we drink our own Kool-Aid and we, you know, we justify and excuse and justify, uh, you know, these thoughts and these ideas and, and knowing deep down inside, they don't make any sense based on what it is that we're really trying to accomplish. And, you know, that's why I would always slap you because it was like, oh, stop that. That makes too much sense. You know, that, they're not going to get it. So that, that's know. a, that's a great explanation. It's almost like uh, one of the reasons that you just brought up here that, that they, they attributed to the evolution of the business. Hey, this is just the changing of the business. And, and the way I try to explain it to people, if this makes sense to you, Al, is it, you look back at when the wheel was invented, it was made of stone back in the day. And then it evolved. It was made of wood, so it'd be lighter. And then it was rubber. Then it was vulcanized rubber. Then it's run flat tires and things. But at the end of the day, the wheel is round because it only works when it's round. You can't work a, a triangle or a square wheel, you know? And I think people are trying to overly reinvent the wheel when, when it comes to our business today. Yeah, uh, I agree with you, Jimmy. I mean, it, it's evolved. It's changed. It's grown. It's developed. It's become certainly uh, much more sophisticated. But the only reason that it has is because the audience has become more sophisticated. And um, but we're still selling the very same thing that we were selling in 1901 is the same as what we're selling in 1921 is the same as we were selling in 1957 as we were selling in 1969 as we were selling in 1982 as we're selling today. And that's the only thing we are ever, ever selling are who the wrestlers are and why they're intent on what they're doing, not what they do physically. 
And that is honestly what everyone in professional wrestling, everyone sells today and tries to justify and excuse is that it's, that's what, you know, it's evolved to is selling what, and Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that other forms of basically sports entertainment, uh, you know, it's, it's on record in, in the court system and back in the seventies where the NFL, you know, declared that they were sports entertainment. They weren't sports. Um, you know, other forms of sports entertainment, basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all of them. Um, they, they, uh, they do a much better job of doing what we've always done, which is selling who the players are and why the intent and why it's so important to win. Um, we no longer do that. As performers, the wrestlers now think selling is just acting like they're hurt, trying to convince an audience of what was done to them or what they're doing, not the intent behind it. And and that's unfortunate because that ultimately has led, you know, to where we've seen such a dramatic decrease in attendance and uh, viewership and, you know, et cetera. And, you know, right now, you know, kudos to WWE. They have been able to find other revenue streams and been able to parlay and capitalize on uh, what they've been able to do in the past. Um, but going forward, that's going to become more and more of a challenge as numbers continue to drop. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I point out all the time, and I forget when it was, because I know this goes counter, counter to uh, what WWE tries, the narrative that they try to create as far as wrestling history, but um, I think it was 1965, maybe 66. I forget the exact year. Uh, you know, and, and WB tries to propagate the idea that, you know, wrestling was never like mainstream popular, like running stadium shows and, and things like that until they invented it uh, with WrestleMania. And, it, and, you know, even WWF ran Shea Stadium, you know, back in the 70s. Then senior ran, you know, stadium shows. Um, uh, but in the 1960s, and, and again, I, I don't, you know, check, you can check, but it's, I think it might have been 66, which at, uh, at uh, Kaminsky Al, Park. Al, what, what, why are you coming up with dates anyway? You, 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 I, you, I can't remember. You don't dates. know what today is. I can't remember dates. <laughs> Yeah. But 1966, <laughs> it, it's pertinent only because. But, but, you, but you sound like such an historian, and I'm loving it. I know. Um, but 66, Buddy Rogers and uh, Pat O'Connor uh, for the NWA World Heavyweight Trial uh, drew like 43,000 people on a Friday night in uh, Kaminsky Park in Chicago, right? Wow. Wow. The point of all this is the next night they had an event on Saturday night, the very next night in Kaminsky Park, and it drew 46,000 people. Do you guys know what that event was? Baseball. It was roller derby. Oh wow! Wow. Where is roller derby now? It's non-existent. It's not here because it stopped being what it originally was, and they stopped selling to the audience what they originally sold, and it went away. Mm-hmm. It became something different, right. and that can be the fate of professional wrestling if the performers are not taught to be workers mm-hmm. anymore. So I looked up that date, Al. It was 
uh where oh I, crap i lost it uh june 30th <laughs> 1961 ah i was a couple of years off um okay, it was a two out of three falls match for the yeah. nwa world title at kaminsky yeah. park yeah. um 38 i'm sorry i think it's 43 right Forty-one, forty-three thousand people. Uh, I, I, they're saying attracted thirty-eight, okay. thirty-eight thousand six hundred. Got it, got it. Um, I, was, I was including oh, yeah. the uh, comps. Yeah, the, the, the paper, the towns. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, but they said it was a worldwide record that stood until WrestleMania three. Uh, paid out somewhere bigger, between. Yeah, there were bigger houses after that. Um, you know, there were bigger uh, stadium shows. Uh, mm. The Cotton Bowl in uh, Dallas, Texas, that the Von Erichs ran, where Kerry Von Erich beat Ric Flair for the world title. I, I know that it outdrew uh, Kaminsky mm. Park. Right. So, so it was 84, right? You said that one? Uh, it might have been. Might have been. Yeah, Dallas the Stadium, that the, was. The point is, yeah. is that Roller Derby the very next night drew, you know, like, like I said, more than what wrestling drew and it's not around anymore. And it's because they stopped selling intrinsically what it is that an audience wants to buy it, buy, mm-hmm. want to believe, you know, mm-hmm. listen, everything uh, like magic, magic intrinsically, there's only one thing that's fake about magic. And that is, is you buy a ticket, you know, as well mm-hmm. as everyone else that magic is not real that the mag- magician's not altering reality or defying the laws of physics, okay? Mm-hmm. That's the one thing that's intrinsically fake about magic. Wrestling, the only thing that's, only one thing that's fake about wrestling is the intent mm-hmm. that the wrestler is going out there to try to attempt to win. That's it. Because he already knows if he's winning or losing. So he's got to convince an audience of not what he does, but why he does it. And that we've lost and departed from for so far and so long that it's now directly adversely affecting our our numbers, our business. So, you know, one, so, so now, talk, uh, talking. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, RJ. Go ahead, RJ. Uh, I just want to bring up one thing before you were talking about salesmen. I can't help but uh, bring up uh, somebody that you ran into with Smoky Moat and wrestling was Jim Cornette. Yeah. Um, and you got involved before you made the trek up north to the WWF in about 95, I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, you were actually a tag team with yeah. uh, the Uni- U- Unibomb, a.k.a. <laughs> Kane, before yeah. he was Kane. Right. Um, I I totally forgot. I made it a point to go back and watch some of the Smoky Mountain stuff. And um, just absolutely phenomenal. Just great to go back and see this stuff. Before obviously before you made it to the company in '95, and then Kane obviously would come later on. But man, it's just a lot of great talent came out of Smoky Mountain. Then this may be a shock to you, RJ. I mean, it, it's a shock to a lot of people. But there was a thriving wrestling business for decades prior to WWE. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. We actually used to get in the wrestling business to just be in the wrestling business, not you know be in the wrestling business and have to go to WWE. We right. we really just got in the business to just be in the business. Yeah, so, and, 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 crazy. And, uh, George, I know. 
Yeah. As RJ brought up, you you, you tag teamed with the Unabomber, and uh, and you've also tag teamed with Marty Jannetty in the past. You've gone through variations of uh, of of characters. Uh, I always wondered which one is was your favorite to portray over the years. And, the, the and I don't mean that, that you know, like it, the one that's more like you. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah. I'd say the one that made me the most money. That was that was yeah. the one that was the most like me. Because the, the thing that people don't understand is that in order for a, a, a what we call a gimmick, which is a, a basically like a Swiss army knife of words in wrestling, uh, it's kind of like, you know, uh, curse words. You know, can use multiple different ways. Um, uh, gimmick, as far as a character or a persona, um, is not a character or a persona. It is... And I think Brian and Jimmy can attest to this, that every one of the guys that really got over, that really had, you know, had some kind of a run to any degree, it was an aspect of who they really were and their their real personalities. Mm -hmm. And with the, just the volume turned way up as they went out, you know, I tell people all the time, like Vince McMahon was, when you see him go out, that's, that's what Vince McMahon, but with the volume turned up to a million. You know what I mean? If, if no Steve Austin is really Steve Austin, just turned way up. You know, Undertaker was really Undertaker, just turned way up. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that's why they work is because they're not a character. They're they're real, and yeah. and it's so important in wrestling, um, more so than any other pursuit, that you are completely one hundred percent honest. And you are completely 100% who you really are when you go out there in front of that audience because they can tell, you know, and if they can't believe in who you are, um, they'll never believe in anything you do, no matter what you do. Uh, you can throw a bag of cats on somebody. They're not going to buy it. They're not going to believe it. You know, <laughs> just not going to. But now, you know, like, you know, and there were a lot of times like, you know, when, you know, and I tell people this all the time and they just kind of look at me like, what, you know, when I was, I would travel by myself with just the head. And when, when, you know, I was really getting over with that, you know, I'd go, into, <laughs> I'd go eat dinner by myself with the head, go in the restaurant, set the head on the other side of the table, order dinner for both of us, sit there and argue with them in front of people. And it was not easy. It was uncomfortable. You know, I got kicked out of a lot of places because we were told that, you know, I was making the uh, other customers uncomfortable. You know, I'm like, well, they're making us uncomfortable. So, you know, who wins here? You know, right. <laughs> you know, we'd argue and fight. But the reason I did that was because, um, you know, if you you were you tuned in on Monday night and you saw me, you're like, hey, come in here, you know, to your friends and your family. You're like, come in here. There's that lunatic I was telling you about. He was talking at the diner to his dad. He's and you believed in me. So now you believed in anything I did. And let's face it, guys. I mean, you guys were there, Brian, you and Jimmy, you guys were there. The stuff I did was ridiculous, but it yeah. made sense because I was supposedly insane. You know what I right. mean? Mm -hmm. And I think people didn't quite, I know a lot of wrestling fans, you know, wrestling fans, you know, they're like, oh, he, he, you know, he, he, he's all funny. I, I wasn't doing it to be funny. I was doing it to be insane, you know, <laughs> and what didn't make sense for anybody else on the show made perfect sense for me. Because I was completely out of my mind, you know. <laughs> so, so, so Al, Al, you have to tell me this, okay? Yeah. 
I know a little bit of the, about this, but I want you to, to talk about this. So you yeah. were able to be lucky to be part of Tough Enough and yeah, also yeah. TNA and also TNA Gut Check. Right, yeah. Which one was more real to you? Which one felt like you could be the owl that you really wanted to be? Uh, both were, but for different reasons. Uh, Tough Enough was at a point in time in television history when the only other two reality shows that they had on were Survivor and uh, uh, um, the MTV show uh, Real World. And so Tough Enough was really the the first ever concept of a reality show where it combined the two, which was, uh, you know, people in a house having to live together, having to learn how to get along with each other, but yet also competing against each other for an ultimately a prize, you know, uh, no, no other show had had that format before. And prior to like the reality shows, you know, today, which are what they call scripted reality, Okay. Um, you know, we filmed uh, 13 weeks. Uh, like our, our episodes went episodically went 13 weeks. So when we went to LA or when we went to Stanford for the first one, and then we went to LA for the, you know, the, the other two, um, you know, we filmed for 13, uh, 14, 15, 16 weeks, you know, and what they did was, and we filmed 12 to 14, sometimes 16 hours a day. Um, and uh, we filmed at least four to six days a week. Um, and wow. then the, the, the kids filmed seven days a week. So um, what they basically did was that they, they, they would the only things they would do is they would create activities for the kids to go do like they, you know, we're going to all take you out to a restaurant tonight. We're going to take you to a nightclub. We're going to, you know, yeah. take you on this trip. We're going to uh, go to a zoo type of thing just to get content and to see if they could then create things that would happen with the kids interacting. Um, you know, Hey, we want the trainers to come over for dinner and they got a kid's got to cook dinner for them. Things like that. And then they literally turned the cameras on and they left them on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All over that house were lipstick cameras and uh, small cameras up in the corners and by the ceiling and the, the corners. Um, and then you had the crews. They had three crews that worked, you know, around the clock filming. Even when those kids slept, they kept a camera on them sleep while they were sleeping. And... Wow. Um, and then gut check was real in a different way in the sense of it kind of just, it, I don't know why, but just ipso facto became where I kind of, cause I was in the office at the time, uh, kind of became the guy who went out and found the talent found, uh, you know, I would go through the submissions each week and I would try to find somebody who had a really good, interesting backstory that I felt like an audience could you know have an interest and then we'd fly them to nashville or i'd go fly to wherever they were at and we would film like those little vignettes that would kind of tell a little bit of a backstory and a history on who they were and why they should people should care whether or not they won or not and then you know that was supposed to be in all honesty 
it was supposed to be controlled. It was supposed to be worked in the sense that there would always be two, two positive or two positive votes and one negative or two negatives and one positive. You know what I mean? You yeah. would always have a, a stalemate, you know, so that then the kid would always have to cut a promo to, you know, save themselves. And two dif- distinct moments that I remember, okay, where they d- it did not go the way it was planned was the very first one, and I can't remember the kid's name, um, a kid out of OVW, right? And all day, Ric Flair was going to be on it. You know, he was going to be involved. It was Ric Flair. It was uh, Bruce Pritchard and myself. And Bruce was like, okay. Rick says he's going to say no. And Rick was just adamant. He's like, oh, I'm telling this kid no. He ain't going to do it. It's not getting over on me. You know, it's, you know, bullshit. He didn't like it. <laughs> right? So he's got a promo all day. And Bruce is like, okay, so I'll, he'll say no. I'll say no. You say yes. And the deal was all he, the kid had to do was get two yeses and he was in. Okay? So... You know, the kid does the match. You know, we come in the ring. He cuts his cuts a promo, and uh, you know, looks Bruce looks at Rick. Rick goes, "Nope, nope, nope. He ain't nope. This kid ain't got it." You know, Bruce goes, "No." I go, "Yes," right? Mm-hmm. And then here's your chance, kid. You got you get the chance to kick out. Here's your thirty second promo. Make your appeal. The kid cuts this incredible thirty second promo. Then Rick grabs the microphone from Bruce and goes. <laughs> That kid sold me on it. Yeah, I say yes. And he got a contract. I mean, it was wow. Like, you That's know? incredible. And then uh, the other one was Joey Ryan. And this is a great example. Okay. Once you go, I don't give a shit what excuse these guys give you. It's all, it's just complete horseshit. Okay. Once you go through the curtain, you are in complete control. Literally, you can make anything you want out there in that ring. I don't give a shit what people tell you. They cannot stop you from getting over. They can't stop you from getting heat. You, It's your world, period. Once you step through the ropes, ball's yours. So, Joey Ryan, the plan is, again, plan is, it's going to go out, you know, and we're, we're going to shut him down. You know, Taz is now in the ring. So now Flair's no longer on this. Taz is now on this, right? <laughs> Taz's going to say no. I think I'm going to say no. Bruce going to say yes. So uh, uh, Taz goes in. What a shock. Taz goes into business for himself and, you know, <laughs> gets up on the kid, you know, cuts a promo on the kid, and, the, and Joey doesn't back down. Joey starts cutting a promo, you know, back on him. You know what I mean? And gets himself over to the point by the by the time we get in the back, Eric Bischoff has decided we're going to hire the kid, but we're going to do a now an angle with it, which is how I ended up doing the angle with Joey Ryan because they asked me to do it because they knew at the end of the day I'd put the kid over or do business with him and, and Taz wouldn't. So that was how that all evolved. That literally is how it came to be. Hey, Al, let, let's, let's do this. Uh, RJ, you have the, the uh, little yeah, segment here. Yeah, let me know? let me cue this up real quick. Uh, this, like I said, this is what we talked about before. This was a little context. Everything you just talked about, Al, this happened yeah. previous to this. And this is the in-ring uh, promo from 2012. So let me just play this for you guys real quick. Yeah, please. 
Is this the one that has me? Good to see you again, Joe. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've got something to say. Since you've had something to say every single time you've showed up here. Oh, what a difference a day makes. Now, can you feel that, Al? Can you feel that electricity? Are the hairs on your Shut arm up. standing? Nobody wants to Is bringing Sleazy back live on Spike TV, live in the Impact Zone. You done? Enough with the pandering. You wanted an opportunity. I'll give it to you. All you got to do, pal, is go through gut check one more time. No judges, no deliberation. You win. You got yourself a spot on the roster. That's it. One and done. That's really, really cute of you to offer, but I already proved myself when 87% of the audience said they wanted me in Impact Wrestling. So what you're saying is you don't have the guts to try it again? What I am saying is that I should already be here and I've already proven it. And I'm giving you the chance to right your wrong and give me a contract now. Well, I'm not giving you nothing. You want it, you earn it, you go through gut check. What do you say? You know what? I have the confidence, I have the ability, and I have the 87 percenters behind me. I accept your challenge. Great. Then you're going to fight me to get it. Oh. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, listen, Al. It's not the 90s anymore, and nobody wants to see you in spandex. That's okay, I'll whoop your ass in jeans, I don't care. <laughs> Whoa! Well, I think Al got 87% of that slap. All right, that, uh, wow, that, uh, hopefully that, uh, if it didn't jog anything up for uh, Joey Ryan with that slap, Al, I don't know if uh, anything will rejog you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed doing that angle with Joey. I remember... You know, when I came back through the curtain, you know, and uh, Joey was backstage after he'd done the thing with Taz. And I remember, um, you know, doing for the cameras, um, uh, come up on Joey and, you know, go to throw him out type of thing. Um, and I grab him by the shoulders and I don't, I, you know, I'm working and grabbing him, you know, and I could feel him shaking like he was that nervous. Do you know what I mean? But, hey, you can say what you want. He had the guts to go for it. He had the guts to to do it. And he got himself an opportunity. He got himself a shot. He got himself on, you know, got himself a run on impact because he had the had the balls to just go out there and, and take advantage of that opportunity. And and so many times I wish I could communicate that to performers that, you know, just stop worrying stop being afraid and being so scared of making a mistake and mm. and go out there and be a star be an attraction make people care about you some way somehow 
you know, and uh, and Joey's a prime example of that. He really is. Oh. He he really that, he was not meant. So you guys understand, he was not meant mm. to get a contract. He was not meant oh. in that segment to get hired. That was established. That was determined before he went out there. And he ended up making a spot for himself out of that opportunity. I mean, and, and ended up, you know, we did that angle and it used it to bring back Morgan back. And, you know, I didn't mind doing business. It didn't bother me, but uh, you know, and I had, I had a good time working with, him, you know, that's, that's awesome. And, and, and you talk about going into business. I'm going to backtrack a little bit now to the tough enough, because uh, there was an incident in the tough enough uh, challenge that happened in the ring that <laughs> back in the day, I think you were standing in the corner. You were a part of this as, as well. The infamous Kurt Angle, Daniel Pewter incident. Um, yeah, but that wasn't, Hey, listen, that was because that was because Jimmy, quite honestly, a lot of people think they know shit and they like mm -hmm. to not listen, you mm -hmm. know? And I remember when I was speaking to Kurt and Kurt's like, Oh, you know, I'm going to wrestle one of these guys. You know, and uh, and uh, Vince wants me to wrestle them all, and I went, mm -hmm. no, don't mm -hmm. do that. You know, don't don't wrestle these guys hurt. You know, because literally all of them. I think the smallest one <clears throat> was Nick. You know, uh, and Nick was like six two and like two forty, yeah. and the rest of them like you know mm -hmm. Daniel Rodeimer was like six ten, three hundred and ten pounds just you know, like this and justice and all the dryback. I mean, all huge guys. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Cause you never, I, they had, we had the same situation. Stephanie goes, Oh, uh, Vince wants uh, to slam these guys, uh, big show to slam them. I go, Stephanie, none of these guys know how to slam, a, take a slam. And then none of them know how to sell it and put it over yet. Mm -hmm. I said, have him chop up. They won't have a choice but to sell that. And no, 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 Vince wants me to slam him. I go, okay. And then what happened, guys? Remember? Mm -hmm. Slam Nick. He didn't sell it. Big Show got upset. Thought he was yeah. burying him. Hit him. Gave him a concussion. Then right. suddenly it was my fault because I didn't control it on the microphone. What are you, uh, are you kidding me? You never right. mix. You never mix a shoot with a work. You just, it never works. It's always oil and water. It always goes bad. It goes out of your control. It always goes sideways. So, yeah. and 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 you know. uh, again, you were there, and I lived it too with that Daniel Pewter, yeah. uh, Kurt Kurt Angle incident. Because, uh, and basically, what they did was they had they blew the guys up doing the the squat thrusts until there was uh, I, I forget the kid's name who won the uh, uh, who who was last left, but he was so blown up by the time Kurt got to him, he tied him up in knots and. Yes, Kurt's an Olympic gold medalist, he's and so forth. But then he grabbed the mic and said, who else wants to take on the Olympic gold medals? And of course, Daniel Pewter put, puts, uh, uh, puts his hand up. I look back at you and you looked at me and you just went. I was like, no. Yeah, no. And I, yeah, and I'm waiting in my ear to, to hear somebody from Gorilla, Gerald, say, stop this somehow. Nobody said anything, you know? No. And yeah, I, I told Kurt, I said, don't do this because, you know, they were with me every day and blow, doing thousands of squat thrusts wasn't going to wasn't going to blow them up. You know what I mean? It wasn't going to get them to the point where Kurt could easily handle them. And and they were not they were physically they were younger. They were healthier. You know, it, that was not a smart idea. <laughs> it was not a smart idea.
The only the only mistake I made in that is I, when they fell to the ground, I just instinctively said, "I'm going to count." Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, Pewter lifted his shoulder before three, but I counted three anyways. And then I thought, well, they were having an amateur contest. I could have just counted one and got away with it like that. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, still, it, it goes to what you're saying exactly. Mixing a shoot with the uh, with, uh, with work is work never good. Shoot. Nah, no, no. It's I'm telling you, it's it. I, in all my experience, every time I've seen it, it's always gone wrong. There's a. Mm -hmm. In here in, in the state of Kentucky, right? Paphos, uh, Randy Savage and his dad used to run the territory and they had Bob Roop. Bob Roop, for anybody that doesn't know, used to, was an Olympic wrestler, you know, and uh, they had the, the sugar hold challenge. And if anybody knows what that is, it's, it's basically where you paint, you belly out a guy, grapevine his leg, and you half Nelson him. And it's, it's miserable. I mean, it just, you know, it's next to impossible to get out of. Think of a, a, um, a abdominal stretch, but on the mat face down. Okay. That's what a sugar hold is. Okay. And, uh, and they had a challenge and they were offering, I think it was like a thousand dollars or something to anybody that could get in the ring with Bob Roop and get out of the sugar hold. And then some guy, he was a kid at the time. Um, uh, he's a legend around here. He gets in the ring with Bob Roop and to this day, don't know how he did it, but he got out of it. And, you know, they were stuck having to pay him like a thousand dollars, you know, oh, and, and it came out of, came out of Paphos and it came out of Roop and it came out of Bob Orton Jr. Because he was partnering in the territory at the time and right. somebody else that had to pay this kid a thousand bucks and that broke, that cut into the house and nobody got paid that night because, you know, they had to pay this kid a thousand dollars. So you, I, I can, I can, I can literally continue to tell stories of where, mm -hmm. of, work in a shoot a shoot in a work environment never goes well it just does not go right that was like the iron sheik did the iron you know the persian clubs and i think two or three they did the you know the, the challenge thinking that nobody could do it and i think two or three times they had to pay up because some guy in the buried you know took killed all the sheik's heat when a guy was able to do it yeah. one little one little quick story i just want to say and then i want to ask you another quick question now sure, yeah. uh, I don't know if you remember this or not. You probably won't. But uh, when you guys had the Tough Enough crew on the road, me and Daniel Pewter actually became really close, like buddies, and wanted to hang out and stuff like that. Yeah. And this is when you had all the guys in, in tow. They were all coming from the building. We were at the Omni Hotel in Chicago. I'll never forget where it was at. And you had said to them, seriously, you were. I think you were dead serious, but you were trying to make it a joke, but I knew what you were doing. And yeah. you said – Guys, I'm going to make an announcement. Stay away from this insane idiot right here. <laughs> and I was like, what did I do, Al? And you're like, you're not keeping my guys out late all night like you do. Hell no. Boys, we're going to bed at 1030. And Daniel was like, I can't go to bed at 1030. I said, I know how to work this, man. We can do this. We're good. It was so funny. But you had those guys like, I mean, it was, it was amazing to watch because it was just – you weren't mean to them, but you were to the like you were training them. You were you were to the point where they understood who you were. You were the, the sensei, let's just say, yeah. and they respected every word that came out of your mouth. It was just awesome to watch, and and I'm I'm glad I was there to be able to be seeing this stuff. But it was funny, and you know what? Now that I know that I know now, you were right. I am an idiot. You're right. <laughs> I, I wouldn't admit. I didn't mean that. Like I was. I meant it. Like you would take them down the you know where they would end up getting themselves in trouble. 
doing something stupid because you knew how to navigate the situations. <clears throat> they didn't. So, you know, and you were in and they weren't. So all it took was for them to do something stupid. And then, you know, what are they going to end up doing? They're going to, you know, they're, you know, they're going to end up going, yeah, you out you're gone and then they lose an opportunity you know i understand i, I do i do now man i didn't then i was like why would he say that but anyway yeah because yeah. um, you weren't you were smart you knew you knew what to do and how to do it and how to get around it where they would have just went following behind you and then would have walked you know you to walk through a door and they would have walked into it and then they got busted <laughs> <laughs> So I, I found this too, you know, and I, and I do this every single week, man. I, I go through show notes and then I find something that's really, really intriguing to me and yeah. just want to get your thoughts on it is all. Sure. You teamed with Steve Blackman and y'all yeah, yeah. were labeled as the, the odd couple tag team, basically. Sure. Yeah. You were called the head cheese. Yeah. Can you please explain this experience because this was phenomenal. Well, the, the head cheese was, uh, we were, we did some, I forget where it was when we were maybe in Green Bay. I don't know where we were. And, and, um, you were in Green Bay. You were in Green Bay. And we were trying to come up with like team names or something. It was a vignette that we were trying to come up with a team name. And Steve actually was the one who came up with it. And he was like, you know, uh, we'll get people to call it, call us head cheese and I'll get upset and you kind of get the crowd to go with it. And I go, okay, sure. You know, what, am I going to tell him no? He'll probably kill me. So, <laughs> um, uh, so that was his idea to you know come up with it. He came up with the idea of head cheese because I was, yeah. you know, Brian Gewurz uh, at the time was trying to pitch, you know, saying, "Oh, we got to come up with a team name," and you know, and, and having me come up with ridiculous names, and um, and that was somehow where somehow we came up with that one, and uh, it just kind of. You know, Steve's the one who came up with it. So that was his idea. How was it working with him? Oh, it was awesome. Steve's an awesome guy. He really is. He really is. a He's a great person. A uh, little intense, you know, but that's mm -hmm. what makes Steve Steve. You know, he, he just, but um, like it was, it was really uh, a great experience, you know, working with Steve, especially, uh, you know, those vignettes and things almost became a show within a show. I mean, um, you know, when they would do the, uh, the ratings based on segments, ours was always the highest rated segment on the show where we were doing those vignettes. Um, it's too bad. Nobody was filming the baggage claim that day with him and JBL. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> when, when Steve went to throw the kick and got his leg caught in that bag. Oh, thank God. I wasn't going to, you know, I was going to lay beat the, beat the shit out of JBL until I saw him step back. And I was like, Oh God, he's going to kick him in the legs. And he got his foot stuck in the handle of that duffel bag. And that was the only thing that saved JBL from being crippled. And then I literally, I don't know to this day, Jimmy, I swear to God, I don't know how I did it. I literally jumped on the edge of the baggage claim and ran across it balancing the entire time while I saw Darren Drozdov coming from the other direction and we both right. met and stopped and collided into this old couple behind Steve oh and John. God. Yeah, that yeah. was a, it was a great moment. Mm -hmm. Awesome. You know, yeah. From, uh, you know, from head cheese to the job squad, I figured this is a great segue, Al, but yeah. um, I absolutely love the job squad because we used to have a bunch of friends of and i 
got a bunch of job squad shirts. We wore them to school and high school. We got our asses kicked, but you know, that's beside <laughs> the point. Um, yeah. Did you, with the job squad that, yeah. how did that help you with your individual uh, character? As far as you know, Al Snow with head, uh, did it kind of prolong it a little more? Did it enhance it? I don't think it did either one really. I think it was fun. Um, and, uh, you know, people seem to connect with it. Um, but honestly, it was just me being a smart ass. That's the truth. Cause when I was in WWF, they were doing an angle at the time and everyone had a game in the company and I didn't in, in it's my own fault. Um, I didn't have the best of attitudes and, um, you know, I was pointing the finger at everybody else instead of at the one person I should have, which was myself. And, um, you know, I came in the catering one day and, you know, Cornette was sitting with me and, and, uh, Candido and a couple other guys. And I proclaimed to him that we were, I was forming a gang of my own, you know, cause remember it was back when Los Bariquas and, you know, the, uh, Undertaker had the motorcycle gang with the Harris twins and Brian Lee and, uh, they had the heart foundation and everybody had a gang, but. I was like, well, I'm going to make my own gang. We're going to call ourselves the Job Squad because there was these paper towels that were called Job Squad at the time. You know, our, our motto was, you know, you can wipe the mat with us. And he just started laughing. He's like, because it, it, I, the reason I did it was because some, some of the boys in the back had kind of lost sight of reality, okay? The, the real reason we all shake each other's hands is because we all need each other to make money. And you don't really win a match. It's net, you know, and, and uh, so that you understand what why I say this, um, like a, a, a jobber, a lot of guys think a jobber is somebody who loses all the time. And that's not what a jobber is. The real term uh, came from back in the territory days. Um, when you worked TV in the territory days, you didn't get paid for it. You got paid when you went and worked on the live events. That's where you made your money. The TV was considered and still is to this day is a commercial for you. So that, that way uh, you, the promoter runs live events. Your name on that poster has some factor in how many people showed up at the building. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. A jobber. Okay. A jobber is a guy or a girl who came to TV they don't they're not in the territory they're not going to work the live events they're not working any of the towns so therefore they're only there for the day and they're like a job it's not an opportunity it's a job they're paid to do x amount of tv tapes usually most territories we did two or three uh once a month at a tv studio you know what i mean and then they buy they, what they call bicycle amount around the territory um to the different TV stations, okay? Mm-hmm. So you would get paid anywhere from 25 to 50 bucks a match and you were there to do a job. You were there to get the other talent over. Now, if you were one, you were in the territory and you were working the towns, even if you lost every single week on TV, you didn't get paid for TV because your name was now on a poster and it had some value because you're, you were featured on TV. So doing the job was called, was basic, or a jobber was basically because you came in and did a job, okay? 
losing in the wrestling business was always known as doing the favor. And the reason it was known as doing the favor is because it's expected to be returned at some point, you know, and, and that's how the business goes. One guy gets hot. We all do the favor and we help get him over, you know, or we help put heat on him. Uh, when the time comes and he cools off, he now has to return that favor to whoever now is on the way up and is getting hot and now needs to get heat on them or get them over. And that's just how it goes. That's how business goes. So, you know, when I called, I, you know, came up with the job squad, it was because I had a bad attitude and I felt like because I was losing all the time, I was a jobber when really I was actually in the territory. I was working house shows and, <laughs> um, you know, but I wasn't making any money because um, business was down. And, you know, uh, Jimmy just kind of laughed. He was like, well, you know, that gang's not going to be that tough. I go, we're the toughest guys in the goddamn business. Mm-hmm. He's like, what are you talking about? I go, well, if Undertaker goes out there and he tombstones Barry Horowitz and Barry Horowitz stands up, dusts his hair off and walks out, who had the power in that match? I said, I think a lot of people around here need to remember that, that the only re- you ain't really winning because I ain't really losing. So. You know, and then I went to ECW and, and the boys all thought it was awesome. And they were like, encouraged me to make t-shirts. And, and I did. And uh, I made a shit ton of money off of t-shirts. Um, but I never made Steve Austin money off of t-shirts or rock money off of t-shirts. And the reason I didn't, and I explained this to people is because I made a gimmick, a t-shirt that only a niche audience understood and could relate to. Mm-hmm. and and you know where steve austin or the rock or you know so many others were so successful was they made a gimmick that the casual audience could relate to and you know would you rather be job squad you know uh popular which i i did really well or would you rather be steve austin popular which is you know hey my shirts are in hot topics Steve's shirts were literally in every store in the mall, were in Walmart, they were in Target, they were in flea markets, they were in everywhere. So the choice is yours when you walk to that ring. You can you can do something that only appeals to a niche audience that, you know, only is going to get it and be successful. And you're going to be successful. But are you going to be life-changing successful like a Steve Austin or a Hulk Hogan or a Rock? And that really should be your ultimate goal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. He's absolutely right. And it it just, you know, I obviously want to ask you a question, but do you think that's one of the inherent problems today in today's presentation of professional wrestling is, is, is not just one company. I mean, I think, you know, obviously AEW, does it more than anyone but all of them seem to cater to that hardcore fan the people who read the internet and the um the casual fan has kind of lost interest because it it doesn't hit them in their wheelhouse i agree 100 i agree and the jimmy the to your point um back to what i was talking about it's because the performers are performers and they're not workers anymore Mm. remember i mean you know uh, we all know the saying, workers make money, wrestlers don't. Anyone can be a wrestler. Anyone. We can put a pair of tights, a pair of boots on anybody. They can be a wrestler. Workers are the only ones that drew money. And we don't have those people in the wrestling business anymore because they're not taught to work a match. What do I mean? Here is the term to work an audience. 
to work an audience is no different than a con or a sham. It is to make an audience believe a lie. We've already determined the only lie about professional wrestling is our intent on going out there is to try to win, that we're actually in a competitive combat situation. That's the context with when we're trying to tell a story. But when you're as a performer going out there and you're trying to make your audience believe in what you do, not in why you do it, you now are selling them that the moves are fake, not the intent behind it. And you all, all of us know the moves are all quite real, you know? And as referees, when's the last time, Brian, Jimmy, you were in the ring with a performer and they literally related to you as if you were an actual official in an actual competitive match that you were there to enforce the rules and protect the well-being of both participants. Mm. They yeah, don't. Yeah, they don't. They have ignore it because they're so yeah. concerned about getting to the next thing and selling the audience on what they do as opposed to allowing the reaction and interaction with the very official that's in the ring with them to help sell the idea that they're competing. Mm-hmm. And the less that an audience can believe in that competition, there's there there is less of a consequence to anything they physically do to each other. And if there's no consequence to anything they do, or any consequence from you, the referee, the official, then there's no there's no drama. And if there's no drama, there's no emotional connection. And if there's no emotional connection, there's no heat. Heat meaning a want, a need, a desire to see the outcome and see one person prevail over the other. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say in these days, the companies, WWE included, you know, uh, have given up, you know, um, and are no longer looking for workers. They're looking for performers mm-hmm. who can generate an interest enough to where they then can believe, you know, can use them as an addition to help supporting the brand itself. Because let's face it, it's now no longer matches that sell WrestleMania. And let's be honest, when's the last time a match, two people in a match, sold WrestleMania? Oh, we can't miss this because Hulk Hogan's facing, you know, The Rock or John Cena's facing The Rock. When's the last time that happened? It's WWE itself and WrestleMania itself that sells the event. It's no longer that it's this person versus this person. And that's because those guys, they're not working for that audience anymore. They're working, they're not working for the cat because in order to, to get that type of an audience, you're going to have to capture the general or casual audiences. I call him Carl the plumber. You know, Carl, <laughs> Carl 6'3", 270, used to play high, you know, college football. And he's he comes home from work and he sits down, pops the top on a beer. He's flipping through the channels. Mm-hmm. What's on your show that's happening that's going to make Carl go, well, I'm going to watch this and relate to it. You know, mm-hmm. how believable are your performers? Because let's face it, the reason Steve Austin got over like he did is because you could believe that Steve Austin can whoop somebody's ass. Mm-hmm. You, The reason Bill Goldberg got over like he did was because you could believe that Bill Goldberg could whoop somebody's ass. Mm-hmm. The reason The Undertaker got over like he did for as long as he did is because you could believe that that man could whoop somebody's ass. And did any of those guys 
do a twisting burning 450 hammer phoenix splash to get over and they can't i don't care yeah I, honestly i don't care if they do a twisting burning 450 hammer phoenix shoving up your ass splash i don't care yeah but it's why did they do it and the problem is the performers today don't care about the why they care more about the twisting burning 450 fire phoenix hammer lock up your ass splash than they do about why did they do it mm-hmm. you know what i mean and that's yep. that's where you lose that that you lose carl because carl <laughs> care, only cares about why you did it and if he can believe in the fact that you did it carl doesn't care about what the move is or how cool it is all he cares about is if it, it it's going to whoop somebody's ass Mm-hmm. I, I, I so feel like I'm in the minivan of love with you on the road right now. <laughs> I'm so totally loving this. I, I really, really am. It's awesome. But I'm not saying it as a uh, disparagement or disparagement on modern performers. I know a lot of them like to take it as such and they get defensive and, you know, uh, that's okay. I say it honestly because I'm really trying to hopefully connect and get the wrestlers to, to take control again and to, to get in, to do it again. You know, the wrestling business, I mean, I don't need to tell, you know, Brian or, you know, Jimmy, you guys know the wrestling business is the wrestler's business. It's not a writer's business. It's not, it's not Vince's business. It's the wrestler's business, you know, because when they walk in the ring, they can do whatever they want to do when they want to do it, mm-hmm. you know, and they can either make business go up or they can, make business go down you know but they if you don't if you just have a business full of wrestlers like everybody goes oh vince killed the territories no he didn't vince did not kill the territories you know what he did vince went around and was literally buying territories when he didn't have to buy them okay he hired all of the workers that were in those territories and he had all the workers and the territories had nothing but wrestlers and Mm -hmm. they weren't able to make Mike money Mm -hmm. That's the only reason that Memphis survived as long as it did after the war of 84 was because that was the one territory that still had a number of workers in it. Yeah. Ballard, Mantell, Dundee, mm-hmm. and they could take the young guys and lead them the way to still draw money. That was why they survived. Mm-hmm. All the other territories, Minnesota, you know, uh, Puerto Rico, I mean, go down the list, Crockett, you know, Crockett survived because he had flair, had all the workers, mm-hmm. you know, but every other territory went under because all the workers left and went to Vince. Well, you can't draw money with wrestlers. Wrestlers don't draw money. And the performers today all endeavor to be great wrestlers. None of them endeavor to be a great worker. Well, 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 according to Pat, Pat, uh, Pat, Pat, Pat Kinney. Pat um, Kinney. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Pat Kinney that, um, Brian Hebner was drawing money and tickets because he was bigger than the boys. And That's true. Yeah, you were more jacked than the boys. Yeah, and and, and, and he, he just, and he worked out before he went to the ring. You were out it there was, doing push-ups. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're trying to draw money with the referee Brian Hebner. He's wearing <laughs> cut-off sleeves on his his referee shirt and everything, showing his guns. Yeah, might as well go out there and get yourself some just, color while you're in no the ring. He said, might as well get some color while you're in the ring. <laughs> there you go. So, Al, here's, here's what we're going to do, buddy. Yeah. We're going to head to our third count. We're going to talk some OVW, take a few fan questions, and uh, oh, sure. we'll be right back after this. We're going to head to the third count. All right. 
Did the holidays hit you hard? Did you enjoy all the treats of the season? Are you finding yourself in a need of a reset or a jumpstart for your health and wellness heading into 2023? Perhaps AdvoCare is a solution for you. With 30 years of helping good people look, feel, and perform better, AdvoCare offers over 70 products ranging from weight management, sport performance, general health, and so much more. AdvoCare products are formulated by a scientific medical advisory board so that they are safe and effective for you and your family. If you are ready to give AdvoCare a try or maybe just some more information, just reach out to our friend and NWA referee, Jared Fritz, to find out what could be done to best fit your goals for 2023. You can follow him on Twitter at jfritzreffit, on Instagram at jared.fritz, or visit his website at leadyourbetterlifestyle.com. Avacare, we build champions. It is the third count of our episode, Brian. One of our favorite episodes, excuse me, not episodes, it is our favorite episode, but our mm-hmm. favorite segment is when we bring in our listeners to ask some questions to our guests. So, Brian, I'm, I know you got a few on your end, right? I do. Um, I'll have a very interesting one, and I want you to, to, to really dive deep into this. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was told by someone you know okay. that – I need you to explain the grass cutting story. Oh, grass cutting story. Take care. Grass cutting story. Try hold on. Let me make sure I said that correctly. Hold on. Hold on. Hold grass on. cutting story. Yeah. You're making me feel dumb now. Hold on. Huh. Oh no no. I mean I may not remember. CTE is a real issue. So yes. Can you? <laughs> I want you to share the cutting grass story. Yeah. Don't- yeah, I, this question, by the way, is from Daniel Spencer. Yeah, I'm, he's making a reference. I I don't remember. I, I'm trying to think. Good, well, he didn't deserve to be on our show. Did he ever do for anybody? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I can't. I can't remember what he's talking about. I if if he gave me more information, maybe I could figure it out. You know, well, maybe, maybe maybe I'll text him through our our true fans. Yeah, yeah. Know. Text him, tell him you know the brain tumor kicked in again. And I can't remember. So. Well, let me let me ask you this. Um, yeah. Do you think I did a decent job of training that kid? I think you did did a great job. I you know I I you know I'm always barking at him. You know that's just what I do. Um, um, you know because I people got to remember I grew up. Or, or a watch, like, you know, I watched your dad and Tommy Young, you know what I mean? And, and I think you can attest, like, whenever I would, when, and they'd ever roll my old ass out and, at Impact, you know, whenever I worked with you, I worked with your dad, I always went out of my way to interact with you guys and get you guys to interact with me. Because right. I thought that just added to the match. And it helped if I was the heel, mm-hmm. it helped put that much more heat on me, you know, that it showed that I was doing something wrong. You know what I mean? And yeah. I can't get the wrestlers to do it. And a lot of times I can't get the referees to do it because now the referees, like, again, like, again, I grew up with guys like Tommy Young and Tommy Young, what made him so awesome was that he reacted. 
Like if he saw somebody get hit, it was never where he did it so overtly that it took away your attention from what just occurred. But it made you believe that much more that that just, you know, like if you saw a guy get punched in the bar and got sucker punched, you'd be like, oh, shit. You know, he would do that behind the, you know, behind and you kind of see it in the background. You know, when he came in for the count, like he came in like every time, any moment that could have been the finish, you know, and that ultimately is what we're selling is that any moment that match could end. And I'm really, I really press for all of the young referees to try to do that. And to just, the key is for everybody in that ring, when they're in that ring is to believe, to believe in the moment that it's really happening. That, you know, that, that, you know, you just saw him, you know, if you're the referee and you just, you, you catch the heel doing something, don't stand there with your dick in your hand, react and get angry and yell at him, you know, at the very least, because in that way, the heat never goes on you. So, so, so Al, Al, to touch on that, because I want I don't want it to be confused because I've talked about this quite a bit on my show and I, and I think you understand exactly what I'm saying and you'll get 100%. You're saying have natural reactions to things that happen. Natural reactions, like you said, someone gets punched in a bar. Oh shit! Yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. Don't watch AEW lately. What's that? Have you watched AEW? Have you been blessed? Oh yeah, and I've I've watched I've watched you know I know watched Daniel on Impact and 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 Daniel's told me like they don't they tell him not to react. They don't want him to do anything. That's and, not. And, and I just don't think that's I don't think it sells what the talent are doing. And I don't think it's real. You know what I mean? I don't think like if you were standing there and and I caught another guy with a beautiful punch, you wouldn't just stand there and like, well, nothing fucking heaven. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Hit that guy and right. you'd be like, oh shit. And you wouldn't call it. You know what I mean? You because if I hit him with a a, a a forearm or something and took his head off, you can't call it. You can't admonish me for it because it's not against the rules. Right. You know, but you would like Jesus. Christ, like you hit him, you know, you come in, you know, when I've got him in a hold and you'd be in there aggressively checking to see if the guy's going to give up or if I'm doing something wrong to gain an advantage, you know, you're supervising. If I'm pinning him, you're, you're coming right in because this could be it. This could be the finish and actively being a part of and doing, you've got to believe as a referee, in my opinion, to really help sell the illusion of, of that it's a competitive situation, you've got to believe like you're an active participant who is ensuring that the rules are adhered to for a fair combat contest and protecting the health and welfare of both participants. That's your job. If it were real, that would be your job. So you need to act like that. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and and I know Brian and RJ know this, that, that, that I try to preach this all the time. That the referee's job is to help the talent tell their story without right. being an, an uh, uh, you know, a, yeah. a distraction to the story. And like you said, with a, with, even with a nice punch that looked nice and snug, just a reaction like, Ooh, that looked like it tagged him, you know, something, it doesn't have to be over the top, you know, and I hate to point out the AEW refs who, who tend to oversell everything. When someone gets punched in the face, don't grab your chin. Like you just got sucked right. or, no. or, or, you know, something happens to the arm and you're grabbing your arm. Like, no, no. you know, it's, it's they, like you're they waffle, to... and you could tell me if I'm wrong. Cause I don't really get much of a chance anymore with being so heavily involved with OVW, but mm-hmm. 
they waffle as far as both talent and referees where they either oversell something or they completely go the opposite direction and no sell something mm-hmm. like yeah. you know the guy throw it like you to your point throws a punch and they they grab their chip you yeah. know but then two minutes later the guy comes out with a six uh you know six shot gun and shoots him in the head and they go right. and they'll care <laughs> right yeah yeah it's 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 either you know feast or famine it's there's no in between and and i think it's is it partly because uh is it does some of the blame fall on the talent as well for not helping instruct these referees to listen you're there to help us tell our story you have to look as as you know legit as possible for lack of a better term because again jimmy it comes down to remembering what it is we're all selling we're all selling one thing. We're all selling the illusion that this is a competitive situation. Mm-hmm. And I cannot emphasize enough that it is not just in the last 10 to 20 years that the general public has became aware of that. A 1976, okay, 1976, I proclaimed to all of my family, both sides, my mother's and my father's side, okay, and none of them, I love every one of them. None of them men's a candidates. Okay. No one can be accused of being a genius. All right. Okay. I proclaimed to all of them I wanted to be a wrestler. You know what? Every single one of them said to me, including my grandparents, who didn't, and none of them were wrestlers. None of them had ever been wrestlers. Mm-hmm. They all went, Why do you want to do that? That's fake. <laughs> How did they know in 1976? Never, no internet. Right. No Dave Meltzer. No dirt sheets, no cable TV. Okay, how did they all know that wrestling was 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 predetermined? Because mm-hmm. everybody's known since the 1920s in the United States. That's when you oh. should have smacked the shit out of your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> should have. She'd probably beat the hell out of me. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, I'll, 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 I'd hit her from behind and then run. <laughs> hey, Al, real, real quick, we'll 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 go back to, to OVW. Yeah. We're we're going to cover OVW big time for you, and uh, but I just have a quick question because sure, yeah. I, we're and this is about the subject we're on. Yeah, yeah. Are 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 the days gone in these bigger companies where they have a ring that sits there all fucking day and they have agents that are there all fucking day? Do they not yeah. go over these spots where these referees miss things? Do they not go over this with a cameraman? What is fucking going on? We find shit every week to talk about, and we're not digging for it. It just happens. It happens sure, every yeah. single week yeah. where the referee sees the guy put the re- uh, foot on the rope, or you see there's a big spot in the ring that actually leads to the finish, but there's a fight on the ramp, but they're shooting that. You missed that. Yeah. You have to see it in replay. I mean, like, what the fuck is going on? And the reason why I'm asking about you and OVW is, are you not allowing your guys to get in the ring during the day? What, what, what's going on? Are, is this gone now? No, they're, they are allowed. And I, I don't know as far as I can surmise or, or assume um, in other places what, what you know, yeah, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. So one of the things that I do in OVW that a lot of places don't do and and this also comes down to the motivation of the talent, okay? Uh, you know, because they already think they know stuff. But yeah. every week, uh, I go and I do t- what I call TV review, and I've always done it even when I was down in, you know, when I was developmental program for WWF. 
or WWE. And that is we go back through last week's TV. Okay. And I literally go match by match, you know, even the dark matches. And I go, all right, here was what we were trying to accomplish as far as business. Here's how we were trying to portray you. Did we get that done? Why didn't we get it done? What worked? What, why, what didn't work? Why didn't it work? Referees. So, do you, so, so, Al, do you literally mean you sat down with your roster and y'all went over the whole show? Yeah, I do it every week. Yeah. That's incredible, dude. Incredible. That's great. And a lot of people don't want to take that time and effort, you know what I mean? And, and you know, um, and as such, that's why you keep seeing a lot of the same mistake. Not only that, but, but the training. When people are broke in the business, okay? I'll give you, and I'm not, again, I'm not besmirching anybody or, you know what I mean, but the, here's how it goes. Hey, here's how you hit the rope. Here's how you take a bump. Here's how you lock up. Here's how you hit the ropes. Here's a couple wrestling moves. Here's what the high spot is. Here's what, how you take a turnbuckle. And hey guys, let's, you can have a match now. And we're done. You know, <laughs> that's it. If, if you come here, okay, the first the first nine weeks, all you're going to do is learn how to sell. What do I mean? Not sell like you're hurt. You have to, to get out of the beginner's class to go to the intermediate. You've got to have a match with your, your fellow students. And you've got to have a match where you can convince me you look like you're really trying to win using your just basic tools and skills that you have. Pinning combinations, holds. Uh, and takedowns and escapes and reversals. That's it. You don't learn how to hit the ropes. You don't learn how to take turnbuckles. Nothing. You learn how to sell me that you're trying to win. You sell me on your intent. If you don't learn that, there's no purpose in you learning to hit the ropes or taking a hip toss or suplex or anything else because you ain't going to sell it. So why do it? Intermediate, now you learn to hit the ropes, learn all that other stuff. And you learn how to put it all together, sequencing. And now you start to st tell the most rudimentary stories of being a heel or a babyface, convincing me that you're doing it to win. In advanced class, we get into working the gimmick matches and, you know, uh, more advanced stuff of being a heel and being a babyface and all of that stuff. But start of the class. You're not going to learn to hit the ropes because you don't have the timing, distance, or footwork to even lock up properly. So right. now I'm going to have you careen off the ropes at 35 miles per hour and think that something's going to safely happen? No, it ain't going to. So I'm going to teach you're going to learn to sell. Sell me on your intent. If you can't get me to buy you and your intent just using simple simple holds, simple escapes, simple reversals, simple takedowns, submissions, pinning combinations. Why in the world do you think you're going to convince me of the same thing by doing a triple lendy off the top rope where you drop on their, their face with your asshole? It ain't going to make no, it ain't going to make no sense. <laughs> so, so Al, we're going to get back to the We're because we want, we want to talk but, about it. And we know just you so you know, I mean, that's, that's part of the uh, that's part of the intrinsic problem is that when these talent come, they're coming from an area where they've not been taught the basics and the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Yes, they've been taught that it's all about what we do. The second part of that problem, and I've had this conversation with several agents in some of these companies. They come, come they come and complain. You know, we all get together, old timers and grouse, and we're like, oh, these young guys, they don't listen. And I'm like, 
how do you expect that they're going to listen to you when you're telling them not to, to do the very thing that the guys on top are getting applauded and lauded for and praised and being told that they have five-star matches and are getting rewarded by being on top of the card and getting better money than the guys at the bottom. All you're doing is inspiring and motivating them to continue to keep doing the same bad habits so they can get the spot that those guys up there are doing those bad habits. Mm. So it never ends, right. you know, yeah. never ends. Wow. So I'm going to stick with our OVW topic here because I really, yeah, enjoy, sure. I really enjoy it. Um, one question comes to us from Yellowbone on Twitter. He asked, who do you see as the next big thing coming out of OVW? You know, I, that I don't, I, for two reasons, uh, I don't say. One, it's very hard for me to predict that. In the many years that, and in the many, many different talent that I have trained, uh, there have been people that I could, I'd sit there and go, oh, that person has all the tools and they're going to be this, and they didn't. And then that person, I'd be like, well, they got some challenges and they went way past the other person. So I, I've learned a long time ago, you can't do that. Same reason is there might be some of them that are going to listen. They're going to be like, get offended. And they'll be like, oh, why didn't you mention me? Uh, why did you yeah. mention this person? Uh, <laughs> he's got a favorite. He, he cares about them more than me. Yes. You know, it's a politics thing. It's like, Shut up. Ain't no <laughs> politics. We <laughs> politics, me. <laughs> I'm the only That's person that's going to politics. I'm the one that writes all the shows and books everything. So, you know, I'm the one that calls all the finishes. There you go. Um, just uh, I want to I want to go back to, to your to your WWF slash WWE days. Uh, this question actually comes from from Devin Dowling. He said, "What is Al's favorite championship run in WWF slash WWE? Which which title run that you had was your favorite, or you know, do you have one?" Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I used to think like the first time I got the hardcore title. You know what I mean? That was that was big compliment but then i can't tell you the number of people over the years who have come up to me and tell me how much they were entertained and you know they'll mention other stuff but they mention every time that run with the european title and and how much fun they they had watching that and and how much it it was it was entertaining to them so i guess that you know it was it was it was you know and to be honest uh, and I, I use this advice today to a lot of the performers, you know, um, you know, I'm like, if you go out there and you feel like you're an ass then take control of it and make yourself the biggest ass you possibly can, because now it's you in charge. And I remember the first time they sent me out there, you know, in that leader hosen, you know, representing Germany. And I was like, I feel like an idiot, you know? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make myself the biggest idiot I possibly can. And luckily, Vince saw me right before I went out because they put gave me that string of sausages, you know, around my mm -hmm. neck. Mm -hmm. And uh, the leader hosen had like a fly on, you know, open. And so I ran the sausage down and through. And he like looked up from where he was at early. He's like, "What are you doing?" And, he was, Come here. And, you know, and then made me pull the sausage out of the leader hosen. And I was going to go out on live TV with it hanging out of my pants, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't care. So oh, we, we, we talk about a lot of things, you know, and, and I, um, I'm going to admit that I did not print out the latest run sheet for our show. So um, I'm, I'm actually 
questionless, but I'm not. I have plenty of questions. Good, yeah. <laughs> but I would like to know or like to hear you give me the analogy of the way that you think that the training that's done today, and we've kind of touched on it, but what I'm saying is the way that you were trained, the way that the old school days were gone, we had a show with JBL. He was on, and things are so different than they are now. And sure. it's kind of like, I think, in my opinion, that I think the reason that we talked about these other mistakes that are being made is because, like you said, I think that everyone thinks they're a star because they're on TV and on a bigger stage. And I think that's the lost art of what really was happening back in the day. And I hate to use that term back in the day because people will think I'm old. And guess what? I'm fucking old. I don't care. Uh, but my point being, if you could change or are you changing in OVW, are you changing the way that you think people are being trained now? Or are you trying to just go with the flow of the way it's supposed to be anymore? It, it just kind of catch me up on that. Sure. Um, no, I'm not going with the flow. And I think in a lot of times, in a lot of ways, I'm vilified for it within the modern wrestling business, you know, cause I'm now it's, Oh, he's old school. He's, oh, he's too old school. And I'm not old school because if there were a new school, I would agree. I am old school, but until you can come up with something different that we're selling, if you can come up with something that's new, that's fake about wrestling other than just the finish. If you can come up with something new that we're selling other than I'm trying to convince you of one single thing and that's my intent when I'm in there, okay? If you can come up with something new, now there's a new school. If you can't, we're still in the same school. It's just that I'm trying to keep that alive. I don't, when, if you come to OVW, Brian, if Jimmy... You know, RJ, you guys, and you come in as a referee, as a talent. I'm not going to stand there and I'm not going to sit there and tell you, you can do this. You can't do that. Okay. I don't. If you, you can ask any of the, in the talent that are there, I will occasionally specifically tell you, Hey, I need this in this match this way. And the reason I need it in this match this way is because I'm trying to tell this story at this time. So I know this will work based on my experience. And if you do this, we'll get, we'll get done what we need to get done. Other than that, you do what you want to do. You do it the way you want to do it. You know, even, even to the point of the finish, I won't necessarily call the finish. I'll be like, Hey, we need this guy to have heat because I'm trying to get you to understand how to sell that. If I don't get you to understand it, then it won't get sold. So I don't, so, and that's, if you remember, uh, you know, Bryant, Jimmy, when, when, you know, we had agents back in the day and that was Gurria, uh, oh, yeah. you oh, know, man. they weren't agents like what I was doing at Impact, were they? They were in, like Pat Kenny and myself at Impact. We had to literally go to a talent and go, hey, here's the match. Here's some ideas. Here's some suggestions. Here's how we should, here's the finish. Here's how we should get into it. We had to call everything. Correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Lanza and Gurria, you guys were there. Literally would walk up and go, hey, 10 minutes, you over. Hey, 10 minutes, we need to get this guy over. Hey, get this guy some heat. And they'd walk away. Mm -hmm. That was the only conversation you had. And then it was 100% your responsibility to get business done. Period. Mm -hmm. Am I right? No, it's true. It's very true. 
You're, you're absolutely now, right. literally you're an agent and it's, you know, okay. Yeah. You know, here's how about this spot? You do this, you do that. And uh, you know, sell up in the corner and the guy goes, well, how do I do that? We just get up and walk to the corner. You know, you got to lay it all out for them because if you don't, they don't know how to do it anymore. And they, it's because they're not taught. They're not trained to work a wrestling match. The other problem, and, I, and I've said this numerous times, I'm surprised I've not gotten a major outcry, so maybe this one will cause some heat and cause a stir. Okay? Yes, we love, we love being on the dirt sheets. The well, dirt. You might, this one might get it. Two things. Number one, you're not entitled to get paid. That is not how this business works. Hate to break it to you. You're paid off the house. And if no one pays to see you, you're not worth anything. Mm -hmm. If I put your name on a poster and no one walks in, sees that poster and goes, oh, my God, it's Brian Hebner. I got to go see this guy. I'm going to spend 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. Then you ain't worth anything. This is not Walmart. It is not a job. You were never hired. You were booked. Mm -hmm. You were an entertainer. You are no different than a musician or an actor or a comedian. You work off the gate. If the gate's good, you make money. If the gate's bad, you don't. If the gate's good, that means you're a draw. If the gate's bad, it means you're the shits. That's your value, period. I don't care what you think or what you say. That is how this business operates. And that is why today you performers all wrestle to get a pat on the back. You all wrestle to get a star rating of your match. Where back in the day, I never, for 14 years, I never had anybody when I walked back through the curtain go, how good you match? You know? Right. I walked back through the curtain and the number one question was always asked, what was it asked? What's the house? What's the house? Yeah. Am I not right, boys? Yep. You're right. You're right. Do you hear that question asked at all today? They don't no, care what the house is because they always have to pay. Because they are all going to make money whether it's full or not. And they don't care. And so they are not the wrestlers. The performers are not wrestling for the audience. They are wrestling for each other. Mm -hmm. They are trying to impress the boys in the back. And they are trying to impress one fan who's in the audience who writes a report to a dirt sheet to tell them how good or bad you were. That's it. Mm -hmm. And that as long as that mindset is pervasive and continues, the business will continue to decline. No ifs, ands, or buts. That is why, and that it, it's, it's so much easier for promoters, trust me, it's a pain in the ass for me to sit there and watch matches back and have these conversations and argue with sensitive, neurotic, narcissistic, egotistical talent who yeah. are so, mm -hmm. so worried and insecure that the slightest criticism of them puts them on the defensive and they don't want to listen or learn. That takes a lot of time and a lot of aggravation. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of time and aggravation for me to then write TV and try to impress upon them to do it in such a way that it might actually motivate people to continue to watch the show and maybe mm -hmm. show up physically to watch these people. As opposed to, oh, well, you got a great star rate. You know what I mean? I'm going to go old school on you real quick. I'll finish up uh, with my, my little portion. But as my kids would say, this conversation is bussing. Mm. And 
preach to me is what they would say. Preach to oh, me. Well, I, I and I don't want to sound preachy, but I'm just trying to mm -hmm. state a fact that we've lost such an attachment with what your real job as a wrestler is, which mm -hmm. is to motivate your job as a wrestler is no different than as a movie star. You know, the job as a movie star is not to act in the film. You know, uh, you know, because if that were the case, Arnold Schwarzenegger never would have made a made a movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger was a terrible actor, and if you don't believe it, go back and watch some. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger's job was to motivate you to leave your home, the comfort and safety and security of your home, drive to a theater, sit in that theater, and watch him do his job. You, as a professional wrestler, your job when you're featured on TV is to. Your main job, number one job, when you walk through that curtain is to keep them from turning the channel. Mm -hmm. They turn the channel, we're done. Right. Your job is to keep them there. Something, whatever it is, you've got to keep them there. Now, if they go to commercial break, you better have been something to where they don't turn the channel during the break. Mm -hmm. yep. Now, the real trick is, are they going to tune in next week to watch you again? And then when we come to your their hometown, are they going to leave their home? The comfort, safety, especially these days, it's even harder. Leave the comfort, safety, and security of their home, drive to a building, pay to park, mm -hmm. pay a ridiculous amount of money to get in that building, to sit in a seat they don't want to sit in, around people they don't want to sit around, to watch <laughs> you do your job. Right. You think having a five-star match is going to motivate them to do that? No. Mm -hmm. You're right. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you sticking a Roman candle up your ass and doing three flips off the top rope and a splash on a guy who's going to make him do it. <clears throat> no. 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 They are wanting to believe. They are wanting yes. to care. They are wanting to invest in you emotionally and know that it matters and then not have it thrown in their face 10 minutes later on Instagram or Facebook. The internet mm -hmm. is not the problem. The problem is you. And you're competing for the most valuable resource on earth. That is people's attention. Corporations will spend billions of dollars to get your attention for even just 30 seconds. And you are going to go out there for anywhere from six to 12 mm -hmm. minutes. And you're going to have to keep those people's attention to where it motivates them to want to have you keep their attention again. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, you're not worth it. That's why people get released in WWE all the time because they are constantly perpetually evaluated on one thing. Hey, are people going to continue to watch this person? If the answer is no, we got to release them and get somebody else. They will. Mm -hmm. You're yep. not, it's not a job. You are not an employee. You have never been hired. You cannot be fired. And if you continue with that mindset, you will never be truly mm -hmm. successful. And right. yeah, you're you're under a contract now. You're signed, and you're making money more money than you probably ever would have imagined you could make. Guess what's going to happen though? Every run comes to an end. It ain't mm -hmm. a matter of if; it's a matter of when. When and yours will too. And guess what happens when all that money ain't continuously coming in? Suddenly, you start spending all the money you had. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, you're working at Target or somewhere else. Instead of doing what you want to do the way you want to do it on your terms, be smart. You've got an incredible opportunity and an incredible platform, no matter where you go these days to make. Mm -hmm. And you, you've got one thing that we, that we didn't have back in the day. You have social media. You literally can make yourself into an attraction. You don't need anybody else's TV. 
What are you doing to do it on your own? Mm. You know, get up and do it. You can. Mm. So, wow, that's my uh, preachy part. So. No, it's a it's 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 on point though. That's a you you couldn't have stated it any better. I mean, I, I mean, I hate you, yeah, and and I'm with you, hating to sound like the well that old fart, that old ref over there. You know, watching these young refs now and complaining about them because uh, I tend to notice. Uh, uh, for example, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, <clears throat> you talk about false finishes and you want people to believe in false finishes, and some refs have a tell. For when it's a false finish, and I don't know if fans notice it, but I do. I'm sure Brian does as well, being a, being an official himself. But somebody asked me, "Oh yeah, what is the tell?" And if I tell you, you will be you won't be able to unsee it. So that's why I don't I don't reveal it on here. Here's because, the thing, Jimmy. Yeah. Here's the thing. Okay, all that shit that they're all doing—they're not false finishes. Okay, in order okay. for it to be a false finish, people have to believe it's the finish. Okay? Good point. And and. Just because you did a big move indiscriminately in a match at some point doesn't, and just because people went ooh at the two count doesn't mean it's false. Okay. You've conditioned them to react that way. Right. The only reason you have a finish because 98% of the wrestlers in the business now don't have a finish. I love it when I go on the independence and I go, oh, what's your finish? Oh, I do blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you don't. That's not your finish. Well, yeah, it is. No, it isn't. You know why? Ric Flair's finish was the figure four. Do you know why it was? Because he beat hundreds of people week in and week out with it. Mm -hmm. Jake Roberts' finish was the DDT. Why? Because he beat hundreds of people week in and week out. The only reason you establish a finish is so that now you have a gimmick in the match that you can use like you're trying to attempt to get to so you can tell the story of trying to win. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason you have it. And now you want it to be false. Now Jake Roberts DDTs Ric Flair and he barely puts his foot on the rope. And that's a false finish. Why? Right. Because everybody thought it was really the finish because they'd seen Jake beat how many other people with it. Right. Right. 100%. You just doing a big slam or a big spine buster is, and you never even attempted during the rest of the match to do it is not false. Mm hmm. That's you just doing a big move so that you can jerk yourself off emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, truth. I'm not making it up. No, but you know yeah, I mean? yeah. Uh, so our next question comes from WWE Master 2018. He says, "What's your favorite hardcore match for the hardcore title you had in the '90s?" Uh, geez. Uh, the two that stick out probably were the time I wrestled myself. Um, oh, my goodness. and, um, and then the time that Bob and I went like an idiot, I came up with a great idea of that we'd go into the Mississippi river. So, um, everybody talks about that all the time. So is that the pretty, one that was in the winter too? Yeah, it was in February. Yeah. Wasn't smart. Okay. Wasn't very okay. smart. To my, in my defense, <laughs> it was a very warm day in Memphis and it was, and I was walking around outside by the Mississippi river with a jacket. I'm like, Oh, we're just doing the river. And then when I hit the water, I went, oh, shit, this is a lot colder, deeper, moving on faster. <laughs> so, and then Bob, all jacked up, was trying to legitimately drown me. So, <laughs> and now, wait, wait, no. Now, one thing. Hold on. Stop. Now, you stop talking about people being jacked up. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you watch the match, there's a tire that's strategically in the river that I began grabbing a hold of and trying to keep my head above water because he just repeatedly dunks me, pulls me up. And if you don't know anything about actually drowning a human being, that's how you drown them, is by sticking them under the water, pulling them up, sticking them under the water, pulling them up, to where I at one point grabbed the tire and hit him in the balls and go, you're killing me. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was his retaliation for you suggesting going in the water. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yes. But yeah, not one of my sharper ideas. Yeah. No. But yeah. and if anybody really wants to know, because mm-hmm. there's always been this myth that what does everybody want? What does everybody need? What does everybody love? Like it's a double entendre, which it was. Mm-hmm. But I never, honestly, never meant for it to be a double entendre. I mm-hmm. actually, if you pay attention when I say it, I get angrier. Because I was shooting an angle where at some point, and I never had the conversation with Vince, but it was at some point I would get jealous of the head because here's a guy who he wanted to be, what does everybody want? What's everybody need? And they only chant for the head. They never chanted for me. So I was going to literally turn heel on the head and be jumping it backstage, cutting promos, working to a big match. We'd do a blow off the whole nine yards. So Mm -hmm. That's tremendous. Very interesting. uh, Yeah. All right, so mm-hmm. our next one we have, mm-hmm. I believe this is going to be our last one, is mm-hmm. from Sarah Walker. She asks, mm-hmm. if you were still wrestling today, who would you face oh. in any type of match? Any type of match? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first off, I'd only face whoever would get me paid the most. Um, <laughs> that works, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, I would have loved to have gotten an opportunity to to wrestle Kurt Angle. You know, that would have been a blast. Um, oh. I would, you know, that would have been fun, I think. Mm. And um, what type of match? I had six one, half a dozen other. I, I mm. it, you know, I know I better have a better understanding now. And here's what's the kick in the pants about the wrestling business is that, you know, like I broke in when I was 18. And when I broke in, a lot of the old timers would be like, well, kids, you're probably not going to make any money until you're in your 30s. And they were right, because it takes so long to really understand how to work a wrestling match, not wrestle a wrestling match. And now that I know, I mean, it don't matter the gimmick. You just tell me the gimmick. I'll know how to sell it. And, and I'll know how to work that gimmick throughout the match to then use it to be able to tell a story mm-hmm. and we'll do business. And, you know, um, that understanding has really changed my view and and, and uh, concept of everything that we do. Uh, and unfortunately, it just took so long to to develop. You know, you know, we we there's a, a popular movement back to the training thing for a moment in the wrestling business, and they they teach this. And uh, it's just a pedantic, stupid paint by numbers formula that uh, step one through step seven of, you know, oh, you shine the baby face, then you do a heat spot, then you get the heat, then you do a hope spot, and then you do a double down, then you blow a comeback, and then you do false finish, you go home. And that has got to be, you know, when you really think about it, 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 anybody can paint a house. Not everybody can be an artist, you know? Hmm. And anybody can wrestle, and you can wrestle your seven-step formula, but not everybody can be a worker and work a wrestling match. 
match. And to really be able to go out and work a wrestling match, the only formula you need to follow is that you have to first and foremost sell your intent. When you come through that curtain, you got to sell who you are and why you're out there. Those people have to believe in you. They have to believe in you and they have to believe in your intent. Second thing you have to do is you have to identify what the gimmick of the match is. Gimmick is, it's, it's twofold. One is, how do you win? Is it pinfall submission? Is it a tag match? And therefore, you're going to try to tag most, you know, during the more than the other team during the match. Is it is it a dildo on a pole match where <laughs> the first guy gets up the pole, gets the dildo, and he gets the upper hand? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> If it's if it's if it's a gimmick on a pole match, if it's a dildo on a pole match, the first thing I'm doing is coming through the curtain and I'm staring right up at the top of that pole. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm trying to bring everyone's attention in the audience up to that pole. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get in the ring. I'm going to stand there, and while the announcements are being made, I'm looking right at that pole. The bell rings. Where's the first place I should go? For that pole. For the pole. Because exactly, how many times though have we seen? nightstick on the pole chair on pole put anything on the pole and the guys start wrestling each other and don't ever go near that pole until the end right right Mm -hmm. if it's if it's a a tag match what's the first thing i should be trying to do get my opponent over to my corner and tag Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if i if it's a pinfall or submission this is i swear to you is this how easy psychology is ding 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 I'm going to get my opponent off their feet, down on the mat, try to pin them as quick as possible because that's the most expedient way to win. And when they can't, I'm going to grab a hold and they're going to try to get up off the mat away from there. And then we're going to repeat. And then we're going to create high spots out of that, telling a story that we're both trying to win. Mm-hmm. Correct? That's mm-hmm. the gimmick. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you don't identify and use the gimmick, you can never build heat. Heat's not offense, and it's not people getting angry. These all were terms made up in the carnies. And the carnivals, the heat, you all played carnival games. You all went to knock the three milk jugs down, or mm. you know what I mean, or put the ball in the milk jug, right? And mm. this same psychology was used. The same psychology was get the intent. How do you win? They show you. There's that, that, and that's the gimmick. You got to throw this ball, knock these three milk things off the, you know, milk cans off the stand. You win the big prize. That's the, that's the objective. That's the goal. Now we need to build heat. What's heat? It's that want, that belief that if you put your money down one more time, you have odds of possibly winning the big prize. That's the heat, not the offense. Not the people yelling at you. It's making them want something that now is like a mental game of keep away where you offer it to them. The audience goes to grab it. You take it away as the heel. The baby face goes to offer it. The heel takes it away. And we do that until we get to a point, just like when you were kids, where if we go too far, we get fuck you heat, which is uh, you're not going to give it to me anyways. I'm not. I'm, I'm playing no more. Or if at the right time you pay that heat off and you take it home, you get the pop, which is short mm-hmm. for pop their nut, which is basically mm-hmm. give them an emotional orgasm, not pop like they made some noise. Right. That's ridiculous. So that so wrestling I- is just like having sex, just like fucking. No different. So, Al, here's what we want to do, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 I'll never, ever get old with that story. 
between yeah. you and D'Lo Brown about how wrestling is like sex. It's it's it's, it's the greatest thing. It's true. It's true. It's it, it's 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 making out, getting it's, the people it's, involved. It's going to the bar. It's meeting the girl. It's it's you know talking her up. It's getting her out the door. It's making out with her. It's you know you just keep building the heat, building the heat. Yeah, mm-hmm. until you get over, and then you pop your nut. And, and, and nowadays we get to the nut. Guess what we want to do? We want to nut again. Yeah, yeah. But it's not noise. You could be, you could be, you know, going at it, and and she could be screaming like a banshee. But that doesn't mean you're going to get anywhere. All you might be doing is leaning on her boob. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, tremendous. Okay, so well, well, this so, is definitely a, this is definitely a turn I didn't think we'd be having tonight. But I'm glad we're here. But anyways, go ahead, Brian. <laughs> So, so, so here's what I'll do, uh, Al. To close things out, buddy. Um, yeah. We we all three care very much about your your project with OVW, and we mm-hmm. really do appreciate everything appreciate you're doing. You. I hear a lot about it. Uh, obviously, you know me and Daniel are pretty good friends, and he yeah. very excited about being with you and and, and being there. Um, this is. I just want you to just say what you want to say. I know you've gotten some couple TV deals that are local and stuff like that. Sure. Um, just just go ahead and do what you need to do and then well, thank we'll close you. out shop, buddy. Okay. Uh, if anybody has any interest in OVW, they can go to ovwrestling.com. You can find out more information about OVW. You can see the roster there. If you're in, interested in attending the training school, which is the only training school in the world, this is God's honest truth, it's the only training school in the world that is actually accredited by the State Office of Proprietary Education. They're in charge. Every state has a State Office of Proprietary Education that's in charge of secondary education, which is all colleges, universities, and trade schools. Okay? Right, wait, 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 wait. Now, mm-hmm. now, you're talking too quick there. Explain that now. So okay. they're making a credit? A state, in every state, there is a State Office of Proprietary Education. They are in charge of and they oversee all secondary education. So when you graduate high school and you want to attend a vocational uh, school or a trade school or you want to attend a university or a college, you want to go to nursing school, you want to go to massage school, you want to go to, uh, you know, uh, state university. This office of proprietary education oversees all of that. OVW Academy, which is OVWAcademy.com, is the only wrestling school in the world that is actually accredited as a trade school for professional wrestling, sports entertainment, and broadcasting in the world. Unbelievable. That is a tremendous. Unbelievable. There is no other that is even close. If you and you can go to and I encourage anybody you go to any school you want to go to the only thing I encourage them to do is to one make sure it's reputable two make sure that whoever is teaching you has the commensurate amount of experience to help you achieve your goals for right. instance you want to be in WWE get trained by somebody who has been in WWE you know what I mean otherwise they're not going to have the understanding or the information or the knowledge to teach you of what's expected and how to succeed. If you're wanting to go overseas, get taught by someone who has went overseas. Okay. Someone who's been there that knows what, you know, has the knowledge, has the experience they can pass on to you. It's no different than if you want to be an accountant and you just go to a wrestling, a regular, you know, a, a college, 
you, you know, if the professor for your accounting class has never worked anywhere outside that university, they don't have any experience that they're going to be able to translate to you that'll help prepare you to succeed. So find yourself someplace like that. And OVW, you, you know, I've got 40 years of experience. Doug Basham, who was a former WWE superstar, is a trainer there, and he has over 30 years of experience. You know, we have additional people as well. And we don't just teach how to wrestle in the ring. We teach you how to operate a camera, lighting, sound, live event management, financial management, social media management. So that that way, if and when, and when the time, it's not a matter of if, it's a time of when your period of run in the ring comes to an end, you could still make a living in the wrestling business because you'll have the skills to do it. Um, but that's obwacademy.com and obwrestling.com. We are in, I think, eight different national networks, both broadcast, linear, and streaming. Um, we're in over 100 million homes around the nation. Um, we are uh, on Fight TV every Thursday night. Outside of AEW and WWE, we're the only company that is doing live television for two hours a week, every single week. We have, and we are on our ep episode 1220 consecutive episodes of television. So it's not like we're some fly-by-night operation. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we have uh, trained and added to the wrestling business, I think well over 300 significant alumni from the OVW locker room that have been Mm. Both in WWE, AEW, TNA, uh, New Japan, All Japan, all over the world. So mm. I think we kind of have a track record of knowing what we're doing. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. It really is. Mm. Um, Al, I just want to say, I mean, I know the other guys want to talk to you too before you check out of here. But, yeah, dude, I've always admired you ever since I met you. And it was way back in the 90s it was 98 and you've always been just such a great person to me and and our time i will say our time in tna was was in, in my opinion the finest because this is when we really became really good friends we traveled oh, yeah. together we did so many different things me you Raphael, me yeah. you and and, and 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 simon diamond that little yeah. prick <laughs> um, just just you know me you jinx dom west um oh, yeah. you know just the, mm. the minivan of love we just used to have so much fun you were traveling more so by yourself more than the minivan of love which you missed out on but anyway i you know did, i did yeah you had a couple trips yeah. but uh but i just want to say man i i can't say it anymore and, and be so much truthful that I was so very excited to reach out to you to do our first episode in 2023. We had you on our list way later on. And I just went to RJ and I said, you know what? I, I want to get out on. And, and, and the reason why is because I knew this would be a great episode. And I knew this would be so funny and good and just, just so good. And I just want you to know, I love you so very much, man. Oh, I, really I love you too. Love heart. And I, just don't want you to leave this screen because I want to look at your little face so I can just <laughs> in the hand. I love you. I love you. Honest to God, I love you. I love Jimmy. I tell I I go out of my way to tell every one of you guys that whenever I see you or I see somebody, you know, one of the boys, you know, we were the most dysfunctional family. I mean, let's face it, we really <laughs> yeah. were. 
You know what I mean? We all talk shit about everybody, mm. each other. And then, you know, but at the end of the day, if there was anybody that would ever do anything to either one, any of us, we all would band together mm. and go whip that guy's ass. You know what I mean? That's even, right. Ch- even, even defend Chimmel. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I'll say this too, uh, Al. You know, this is our first episode where we added Jimmy. Jimmy's our third man now that we haven't had yeah. before. This is That's our awesome. first episode with him. Um, and I'm I'm so excited about it. I think it just enhances our show and it just does so much, you know, good for us. And, oh, yeah. and I just really, really appreciate you being on and really just you are open arms too about it too. So that's that's so cool. I mean, because I know you're busy and I know you're so hectic going on with this stuff. And this OVW thing, which Ohio Valley Wrestling yeah. it, it's 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 amazing. And I'm so proud of you. And I just I don't know. Maybe one day I'll earn the effort and the honor to 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 come down there and um, also be um, invited yeah. by you and Dave Hero to go do a Milwaukee show sometime. I would I would love for I. The only reason you have it is because I just I don't have the resources to, mm-hmm. to take care of you enough to where it warrants the respect that I have for you, you and, and Jimmy. That's it. Yeah. Otherwise, you guys would be here in a heartbeat. Believe me. Well, well, just so you know, that that, that, that's a that's a good way of saying it. And I'll say it properly too. I don't work cheap. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love you guys. Love I really you. do. And I, I honestly, God, I'm you know, I uh, because I have OVW and stuff. I don't necessarily I don't miss the wrestling business because I'm in it. You know, I'm I'm yeah. I'm doing it every day. But boy, I miss you guys. I miss the boys. I miss just being a wrestler, and I miss just being on the road and, you know, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, there's no better way to yeah. live your life. You know, nope. God, we got so lucky to do what we did for as long as we got to do it. You know, we were, we were, and, we were truly blessed. And, and, oh and, yeah. And, and nobody should have to figure out, I don't have a fucking clue what it is I'm doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but thank yeah. you guys so much. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah. And, no, no, thank you. Well, I want to thank you too, not just for the show today, but just for everything over the years, all the all the amazing times I had. You, you know, we didn't travel together because uh, I was unfortunately saddled uh, with Chimmel for yeah. you know, most yeah. of my traveling days. Is remember when Brian, remember when, Brian, I went, remember when Brian, I went through that spur that, that where I went through that thing where I every time I come out I go after him and chasing him around. Oh my God. <laughs> it was tremendous. <laughs> It was tremendous. We, but but you always treated me so well, and we had so much fun together. And I thank you for that, and I love you uh, for that. It, it it truly felt like a road family. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys were. I mean, we were with each other more than we were our own families a lot of mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And we, you know, I, I don't think I don't think today's generation gets that same experience. You know, mm-hmm. remember when we when we first started working for WWF? Like when I first came in on '95. Remember when Jr. Came everyone we had that meeting he goes hey boss we're only gonna work you 21 days a month only 21 and i went oh 21 you know and then he goes you know then you didn't realize you were out for like 16 went home for two went back out for you know to make up the other 21 right you know like god damn Like, oh, we get seven days off a month. Hot damn. And they bitch yeah. about their schedule <laughs> they have now. You know. Yeah. Remember when we went to Germany for like 19 days straight? That first one tour. Good Lord. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not so old. Mm. No, you're not, kid. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah, your dad and, and your uncle were on that one. Uh, we were at the, we were in we were in Germany. That was uh, that was when um, they had only it was only a few. I don't not good with time, but they were only a few years around or before that where they had taken down the Berlin Wall. We were like the first ones to go over into Eastern Germany. And oh, wow. all those former Soviet cities, you know, all those former East German sites. And, you know, they had still had big chuck holes where the bombs from World War II had went off in the roads. And you go into the towns and the windows still had bullet holes through the glass and the buildings. And, you know, they just didn't bother repairing any of that damage from World War II, you know. That was, uh, that was the trip where JBL and Dutch Fantel and uh, Glenn Jacobs came. And I all took the challenge to go into a German porn video shop and for uh, each of us to find the most disgusting porn video and report back to the others. And I came stumbling out of, I found the worst. I found this German Scheitzer video. Like I can't even talk about it without to this day dry even. And I went and told them they all went in, they all come out staggering dry even. The next yeah. day on the bus, I told Gerald Briscoe, Jerry Briscoe, and he started driving on the bus. Starting to think here now that we've gotten to the end of the show that this uh, this head gimmick is not really a gimmick. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're 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 uh, they're sitting right here beside me, so we always. Do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, That's awesome. I, I, I don't think we can end the show better than that. Al, thank you mm-hmm. so much for coming on this episode. Oh, and uh, hopefully hopefully we'll see you again mm-hmm. down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love you guys. I miss you. I'll love you too, Al. Right. Thank you so much, buddy. Love you. Thank miss you, you, buddy. Bye, I'll guys. Text you. Take care, Al. Wow. I, I think uh, that's the most Al Snow's ever talked to be honest with you, Brian, because I've never heard mm-hmm. him, you know, th- those great promos, but he, when he goes, he goes, right? Well, d- d- you haven't been in the car with him. Uh, this is <laughs> constant no, three-hour no. ride. I feel like I was doing this all over again. I feel like I was, uh, what's what's it called? The, 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 when they, uh, what is it called? A ground day. Groundhog. Groundhog, Groundhog day. day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was just, uh, it was so great to do, though. I couldn't yeah. wait to do it again. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah, he was a great dude. So uh, next week, before we get to our shout outs next week, we're going to be covering Mickey James. Um, so head out over to our socials at Refn and up on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, check out when you guys can submit your questions. Most likely as you're listening to this, probably give it a couple days. Uh, try to get as close to the next week as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, uh, Jimmy, what, uh, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, they can get a hold of me on all my social medias at Jimmy Corderas on Twitter at Real Jimmy Corderas Instagram Facebook, uh, you know Cameo whatever the case may be. You, you can catch me on all those social media platforms doing my riff and rant from Monday to Fridays, where I just critique something from the night before from the week and uh, again trying to make it uh, not to tear down but to help improve and to have fun with it too. It's supposed to be fun, so you can. Get your ref and rent t-shirt at prosandtees.com as well, too. So they're available there. And, uh, yeah, you can catch me uh, Monday nights and Wednesday nights doing uh, some uh, ref and reviews as well. There you go. Brian, what do you got? Uh, I got the same thing I got every week, man. <laughs> <laughs> re- re- really simple. Uh, Brian, uh, all right, Brian Hebner. 
uh, on Instagram and uh, Twitter and all that good stuff. And that's all I do. I don't, I don't do any more. Um, I, I would definitely not do Facebook, but anyway, that's well, about hey, it. What do you do? But uh, yeah, appreciate everybody listening this week. You can just hit up our website at castby.com slash refing it up. All our merchandise is there as well. Uh, all the shows coming up. Appreciate it. Go back, look at uh, a couple of these past episodes we've had. We had a lot of good episodes. Like Brian said in the show, we had, had JBL. We've had Bully Ray, Tommy Dreamer. Um, it, the list goes on and on. And uh, 2023 will be better, bigger and better than ever to steal a, a phrase from uh, a... Uh, gentlemen that both you guys know very well but we won't get into that uh so gentlemen thank you for being here this this evening it was a pleasure to have you here for the first time jimmy and uh we'll see everybody next week right here on reffing it up with brian hebner one two three